Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of September 2015. You know, every time I look at what used to be called news, it simply becomes more and more obvious that we're getting nothing but handouts, planned, marketed, through public relations offices and so on for departments, handouts on everything from in the environment, the United Nations, uh, sustainability, all the different things that are going on right now. And uh, even from the Vatican too, they have their own press release, core, etc. So everything is just well managed to... to uh, remember, if anything goes through a, a press release, core, or public relations, is to smooth out and, and dampen scary effects that the, 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 the real... Straightforward speaking of an article might have on the general public. That's what it's for, to keep you at ease. And often it's done by obscuring what they're actually saying, of course. But uh, everything now is is simply handouts from from media. Everybody's on board with the whole international, you can call it what you want, international socialist agenda, as Michael Gorbachev calls it and so on. And that's what it's really all about. Everyone's on board with it. And you're simply living through a pre-planned and scripted uh, format of the future, and the present, the future, and so on. It's all pre-planned, always pre-planned. And all we get to look forward to, basically, are international meetings. That's part of the agenda, too, is to get you used to the fact that there's no news except the international news. And you're part of the international community, as I like to call it, you see. So it's all training your mind to see things in a different way than what it really is. In fact, most articles that come out here and say the weather, uh, climate control, all that kind of stuff, these things are all meant to basically alter the way that you, you think that you have figured things out for yourself and make sure that you get the politically correct version of what's being pushed, of course, from the top. Now, the various treaties that have to be signed this year are complete in their effort to control population across the planet. That's all countries, remember, across the planet. That means also the so-called first world countries by legislation being brought in to limit population growth. And it's all tied together with sustainability, you see, And it's all tied together, too, with this whole idea of climate change uh, and sustainable development, uh, carbon reduction, all that, it all ties in together. And again, that came out a long time ago from the Club of Rome. Uh, They put a book out called The First Global Revolution, a very international socialist type of organization, uh, which was given the task of finding a reason that we must give up rights and freedoms and live in a completely new, sustainable way, basically. And they thought after tossing around different ideas, that they hit on the idea of uh, climate change, basically. Global warming, drought, famine, and the like would fit the bill. It would fit the bill. They tried a few other things first, uh, but this one would fit the bill. And since then, like all international socialist ideas, everyone at the top of any organization that's on board with it must parrots, all the buzz terms and so on, and the phrases, uh, the slogans, 
completely. They, they can't they can't pull back on any of these. Slogans. They must use them all. That's gender equality. You name it. Blah blah blah. All these things are put into the same mix, and you must parrot them off. And it's a very unfortunate today because. Your politicians are all on board with it too, but they're all handpicked by the masters that run the world already. And even the ones who run for different parliaments or Congress or whatever, uh, for or against something, always go for it once they're in power. They suddenly change their minds. It's the same with NAFTA and GATT and all the rest of it. We've watched this for years and years. So it, it tells you you run by not just charlatans, but also by handpicked people. They're not picked by the public at all. Never were, actually. And you're going through a massive agenda. That's why life gets awfully boring when you know what's coming down the pike. Not because you're sitting with a crystal ball and and or channeling some entity from Zeta Reticuli, but you, you simply read their agendas and they mean what they say. And we've lived uh, long enough, I'm sure most of us, to watch all these international meetings that cost billions of dollars. You seem to have them for the security and the lavish meals and makeup that they have on. So all that kind of stuff. We've been through it for years and years and years and until it becomes monotonous, really, doesn't it? But that's what they give you as news today, you see. And they never tell you much about what's really been discussed or whatever. And you see the meetings, you see the world meetings, and you think, well, they're discussing these treaties right now. They're not. Whatever the global leaders attend anything, all the work's been done. I've mentioned it so many times and gone through the articles, even from the, the Sherpas site that they had up years ago, where the Sherpas are the technocrats, the top-level bureaucrats, basically, who work for, they're kind of privatized, they work for the global governmental system. And they go across the world uh, and for years getting treaties signed, all the, the debates about, yes, we're for this and we're not for that. And they, they go back and forth with diplomacy until they get it all, everybody on board with the agenda, get it drafted up. And then when you hear about the annual uh, or, or the global meetings, it's a done deal. Uh, your, your leaders go there for their big booze up and their parties and so on and, uh, and sign it. That's it, you see. In fact, the, often, the leaders often don't even really care what's, what they're signing because that's the kind of charlatans, again, that, you, that, that are put into what you think is power. I've gone through some of the meetings this year, of course, with you over the last couple of months, maybe, and we had the International Parliamentarians Association with their meeting at the United Nations last month, or earlier this month, in fact, as well. It, it went in from one month to the next. And then you know, the one that's on right now is the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development uh, that the United Nations, that's September 25th to the 27th. And they have a Sustainable Development Goals. I've been through them all before. I'll put up the PDF in the last few weeks of their goals. And so that's that's been going on right now, in fact, and again, the Pope's visit was, was timed to coincide with it because he put out, uh, the Pope, President Pope, put out his, his particular, um, I think it was Laudato Si, he put out. It was an encyclical. And uh, basically, it's intended in part to influence the conference. Uh, it calls for action against human caused climate change. So he's completely on board with it. But then his advisor, is Jeffrey Sachs, and I've gone through who he is, and uh, he's completely anti-human as far as I'm concerned. And uh, again, for most folk, they won't even look up to see who Jeffrey Sachs is. I've gone through some of his history before, 
and he's quite the incredible character. Um, why would the Pope be associating with a character like this? This is mean advisor on climate change. It makes you have to ask questions. And remember, too, it's not bashing the Pope or, ca- or Catholic bashing, but remember as well uh, that uh, uh, it's not the first time in history that the, see the wrong Popes have got in. Uh, there's a checkered past for sure, and that's the problem, too. Uh, and the strength of the Catholic Church, the, the strength is that they're unified as opposed to the Protestant sects who end up having splinter groups. There's hundreds and hundreds of different uh, sects that can't agree on, on minutiae, basically. So this is what you have, and uh, this present Pope is on board with sustainability and the whole thing too. And global government and uh, uh, is spreading the wealth of the world across. In other words, it's the old socialist agenda again, but it doesn't surprise me because I've gone through this history of this particular Pope and uh, it's, it's pretty well all there. Plus, what they do is more important than, than some of the, the public relations stuff that's all drafted up in advance and what they say, you see. So this article here talks about um, his speech to the Congress. It also uh, has little bits about, you know, looking after everybody across the world, yada, yada, yada. I'll put that up tonight for those who want to bother reading it. And this article here is, is from July, and it's about African bishops. Beware, it says, here comes sustainable development. It says, the battle continues to rage between the population control experts advising the Vatican on Pope Francis' environmental agenda and the Catholic pro-life movement. The Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences called PASS, you see, serves as a battleground where its Chancellor Bishop Sanchez Sorondo continues to defend the Academy's reliance on virulent abortion proponents, like Jeffrey Sachs of the United Nations Sustainable Development Network. Bishop Sorondo defended the choice of his experts by stating that they were participating on the questions of climate change and modern slavery, and that abortion was not mentioned during the conference. His weak defense is reminiscent of the African proverb, which says, much silence makes a mighty noise. Actually, there's a mighty noise across the whole world right now because everything they should be talking about, they're not talking about at all. But it says, the mighty noise promulgated by Jeffrey Sachs, Sorondo's favorite guru, and this is a guy I mentioned before in another article, uh, was meeting with the Pope to advise the Pope on it. Uh, it says, it resounds throughout his books, speeches, and lectures. The roar reverberates in the integral role that abortion and reproductive health services play throughout the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. SDGs. Shockingly, every environmental conference that passed in the last two years highlighted the importance of the passage and implementation of the SDGs. While Jeffrey Sachs uh, Carly didn't mention abortion in his many Vatican speeches, he routinely advocates for global legalization of abortion and reproductive health services as a benchmark for success of the SDGs. So whenever you hear the Sustainable Development Goals, remember that's what they're talking about is, is drastic and fast. They want fast population reduction. Sandwiched in between his talks at the Vatican, Sachs elsewhere promotes the importance of reducing the world's population through legal abortion and family planning clinics. In February 2015, just two months before his fourth address to the Pontifical Academy, Jeffrey Sachs was a keynote speaker at the UK Overseas Development Institute, 
where he vociferously and strenuously decried the growing population in Africa and the need to reduce Africans for the sake of the upcoming sustainable development goals. Why would the Pope be meeting with a guy like this and advising the Pope? Says world population, what Sachs says, world population continues to grow too rapidly in the poor countries, and especially in Africa, and this is a threat on many fronts. First to ending extreme poverty itself in these places with rapid population growth. They're under tremendous ecological stress, economic stress, financial stress, social stress. Africa's population is on a path that the United Nations estimates to quadruple this century. No thank you, he says. Listen to the world's self-appointed population sage, Jeffrey Sachs links reducing the population growth success of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It says Africa's average fertility rate is above 5.2 children. That fertility rate is incompatible with sustainable development and we need a rapid voluntary reduction of fertility rates. Now I can tell you right now, they've been bringing down the fertility rates across the world very drastically for years and years through various methods. And the first world countries, uh, sterilization is happening already in fertility. Uh, and of course, these aren't folk that got the little snips done to them. These are folk who simply eat the, the GMO food and, and get all the inoculations and eat the pesticide laced uh, vegetables and so on. And they know all this too at the top. I've read articles over the years ad nauseum that can be bored reading them all again. But anyway, it says, who is the royal we that Sachs speaks of? Is it the elites of the intellectual left and the global non-governmental organization movements? Is the we the nameless UN or US bureaucrats who dangle humanitarian aid and foreign aid in exchange for legalizing abortion? How does the population czar Sachs plan on reducing the nasty African fertility rate? As he's listened to the Vatican's a collaborator who spell out his plan. He says, fortunately, we know just how it comes about. Keep girls in school, enable them to finish secondary school, ensure access to family planning services, to universal health coverage. See the interest in universal health coverage. And you will have a demographic transition of a voluntary basis like we need. And see, he wants me to finish secondary because it's his school to get an indoctrination, folks. What they're going to do in Africa and elsewhere, they've done across the whole first world countries, uh, and um, we'll see how that's ended up too. Since less than two months after his OGI speech, Sachs returned yet, yet again to the Vatican for his fourth address to embed adoption of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals with the Pope's Laudato Si encyclical. And indeed, the encyclical calls on countries to support the policies and programs of sustainable development. Yet the Pope did not yield to his underlying agenda. In a rebuked environmentalist of Sachs and Ilk, the Pope criticized those who can only propose a reduction in the birth rate to address challenges facing the environment and the poor. Quoting the compendium of the social doctrine of the Church, the Pope said, Well, it's true that an unequal distribution of the population and of available resources creates obstacles to development and sustainable use of the environment, it must nonetheless be recognized that demographic growth is fully compatible with an integral and shared development. Of course, ever the diplomat, when he enters the halls of the Vatican, Sachs cleverly doesn't mention the need to push family planning services on African girls. How shrewd of him. But make no mistake, the UN and its sustainable development SAR have Africa in its sights. This is nothing new. In 2007, Jeffrey Sachs addressed the peoples of Nigeria, 
and with astonishing but typical hubris, instructed the people of Nigeria to limit their family size to three children. He says, I'm really scared about the population explosion in Nigeria. It's not healthy. Nigeria should work towards attaining a maximum of three children per family. The bishops of Nigeria says, are you listening? Sachs and other Vatican advisors seek to limit Nigerian families to only three children. As a director of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal Network, <laughs> Sachs wields enormous power to implement these goals, which are predicated on reducing the world's population, most especially in Africa. Now, don't for an instant think that the Pope doesn't know what Sachs is all about. So why would he be on board with sustainable development? So the white man from the elite eastern corridor of power doesn't want Africans to populate their continent. Sachs' elitist attitude, in the words of the Nigerian pro-life leader, Obia Anuju, uh, says, um, smacks of cultural imperialism. Says, read Uju's open letter to Melinda Gates, who, who with her billions of dollars, as propagates the anti-life agenda of the United Nations SDGs. Uji's letter can be reviewed here, and I'll give the link tonight too for that. So, this is that Pope John Paul II understood the danger of UN demographic population politics, and he fought to defeat the UN at every turn. It's amazing every pope that comes in, you know, for the last few popes, um, people always look back to the previous one and wish they were back and had the same guy again. And for the last few popes, have had uh, their, their, everything's been changed in the Catholic Church, believe it or not, with each pope doing his bit to change it all. And many Catholics have noticed that too. So this link I'll put up tonight, without the other links from the articles I'll mention, because it's, it's interesting to see what's really going on. Now remember too, and I've read years and years ago, if you go through the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, You'll find, uh, even back in the 90s, I was talking about Gorbachev with his um, particular uh, foundation. When he, he left the Soviet Union, remember, he was head of the Soviet Union, the communist Soviet Union, and went over to the U.S., the Presidio, and he set up his foundation and uh, has been pushing global socialism with sustainability and environmentalism ever since. And he has been quite plain in his books what they mean by international socialism, because he talks about, uh, in one of his books I've mentioned many times, he talks about the need to uh, have a global governmental system based on a socialistic type of ideology. And he also mentions... The planet must, uh, the environment must be really taken care of, etc. He mentions that he himself is an atheist, basically a humanist, you see. A total faith that the that, that, that technocrat society could, could actually manage the world better using their, their special gifts, etc. to run the planet as opposed to uh, politicians and all the rest of it. And um, he also mentioned that, that the children must be indoctrinated in school to, for sustainability. And, and he says it must be brought into a form of earth worship. These were his, his words, earth worship. He's talking about the greening agenda, you see, and sustainability, earth worship. And that's been taught through, through Gaia and all the other stuff too in schools. And that's the whole agenda for sustainability and Agenda 21 and uh, the Millennium Project. It's all the same agenda. Uh, is the update, the next part, and the next part, and the next part. But there's a little bit here about um, 
Gorbachev, and it says, The Gospel According to Gorbachev, United Nations Plans to Teach Nature Worship in American Schools. And Global Schemers have a plan to teach a pseudo-religion to America's children in public schools. And this article here is, um, goes back quite a ways, actually. Maybe around the time I was talking about all this stuff back in the 90s, I don't know. But um, it says here that the bogus religion embodied in the United Nations Earth Charter, a weird mishmash of nature worship, humanism, and aspirations to a socialist world government that might easily be seen as a blueprint for totalitarianism. The most famous of his three co-authors is Michael Gorbachev. The Earth Charter, remember? Maurice Strong was another one too. And it says... um, their official religious stance for, for, for the, the Soviet Union at that time was atheism. You know. UNESCO, it says here, Economic, Scientific and Cultural Organization, officially approved and adopted the Earth Charter late in 2003, citing it as an, an important of ethical framework and an educational instrument. And you find that on UNESCO's website, the United Nations. And it says the first order of business for the Charter's backers is to get into American schools, said Sandra Hannan of the Center for Respect of Life and Environment, Washington, D.C., headquarters for Earth Charter, USA. Ms. Hannan is a national coordinator for the organization's campaign to promote the Charter in America. A lot of different educational resources will be made available to teachers, she said. There will be online lesson plans and toolkits for teachers, which the teachers can just download. The beauty of this plan for liberals is their charter instruction need never appear as a line item in a school budget. Only the most alert parents will ever find out that this plan has become part of their children's education. Then he goes on to say, is it a religious document? It says you can download a complete copy of their charter from aircharter.com org and see for yourself. One thing you're bound to notice is its frequent use of the words spiritual and spirituality. Efforts to find out what UNESCO means by these words involve repeated phone calls and emails to UNESCO office chief in New York, submitting the questions in writing to UNESCO headquarters in Paris, France, and finally a claim that the official answers to uh, Calcedon's questions somehow got lost. The charter sports at least 10 sentences that can only be described as expressions of religious belief and another 15 expression values that many would describe as having a religious dimension. The whole piece is approximately 2,500 words long. Their charter does have a spiritual element, but not, it's not a religious document, Ms. Hannon said. By the way, they have a prayer for it and all, too, you know, their opening <laughs> ceremonies. I suppose a greater awareness of the earth and involvement with other living things would naturally give you a religious feeling, but that doesn't make it a religion. The statements in the charter are just values to create a more humane world, although the charter does lend itself to spiritual groups. And remember what Gorbachev said in his books back in the 90s too, that they'd have to form a, create a form of earth worship. What he meant by that was the whole sustainability and value of the earth and equal distribution of everything and so on and so on and so on. This is however uh, James Sniffen of the United Nations Environmental Division, New York City, had a different take on the charter. This is that the religious community is acting on it, especially the interfaith movements. That's all part of bringing it all together, bringing all the religions together and get them all on board with it. 
It seems very important to them. Last year, the charter's sponsors uh, sponsors carried it into New York in an arc of hope, for those who didn't know this. An arc, you know, like it's a container built to resemble the Ark of the Covenant. And you can look that up too, and I'll put the link up for that. Uh, and um, it was displayed at the United Nations headquarters and then housed at the nearby Interfaith Centre. The Interfaith Centre describes itself as a secular educational organisation whose mission is to make the world safe for religious differences. Since we all believe the basic messages out there in all religions, said Peggy Harrington at the Interfaith Centre, there's no room for exclusion in today's world. Miss Harrington said she could not understand how fundamentalist Christians and Jews could object to the Ark of Hope, which is decorated with animist, which is pagan, religious symbols, and contains, in addition to the Earth Charter, artifacts from the Timonos Project, an assortment of creations by artists, teachers, and mystics, including sacred masks and prayers and poems for global healing. But they claim they're not religious, eh? So I find that the Ark of Hope uh, honours the religious tradition, uh, Miss Harrington said. I'm flabbergasted that everyone could think it was disrespectful. The Earth Charter is also being promoted energetically by the Lindisfarne Institute, a self-proclaimed New Age pagan religious cultural scientific foundation and Gorbachev's Green Cross organisation in an effort to give an international political dimension to the environmentalist movement. So... It's quite something, you know. So space permits only a few brief quotes from the Earth Charter. On nature worship, it says, Humanity is part of a vast, evolving universe. Earth, not God, uh, basically, this, uh, this is the editor speaking, uh, has provided the conditions essential to life's evolution. It just happened that way, you know. The protection of Earth's vitality, diversity, and beauty is a sacred trust. Well, who's going to be in charge of the trustee? Well, guess what? I mean, I've mentioned all this before. Recognize and preserve the traditional knowledge and spiritual wisdom in all cultures that contribute to environmental protection and human well-being. The spirit of human solidarity, we've heard that before, and kinship with all life is strengthened when we live with reverence for the mystery of being, gratitude for the gift of life, and humility regarding the human place in nature. So so they decide what the human place in nature is, you see. Provide everyone, it says, uh, the humanistic promises are, provide everyone an opportunity to realize his or her full potential. Ensure universal access to health care that fosters reproductive health. So the first, the whole point of national and international health care is to, for a, a body, a governing body, to legislate through governments uh, what injections and all the rest of it you must take, folks. And even if you're going to be sterilized down the road by the new term for the uh, called bioethics, which is eugenics, you see. The panels of, of bioethicists deciding who will even live and die down the road. It's, it's almost here pretty well. And it says um, that fosters reproductive health and responsible reproduction. That's interesting, eh? It will eradicate poverty by taking all the money that you, you earn and, and distributing across the world. Except for those, of course, that are managing all you. Don't forget, this is a non-democratic system, this whole UN concept. Uh, and the technocrats, the, the proper folk will rule your lives, you see, from birth to death. 
uh, eliminate corruption in all public and private institutions. There's nothing more corrupt, folks, than these big, massive institutions like the United Nations or the EU Parliament and all the rest of it. Stories galore on it all down through the, the many, many years of uh, corruption. Promote the equitable distribution of wealth within nations and amongst nations. As for global government, obviously such colossal projects could not even be attempted without the backing of some form of global enforcement. And this is the thing they're after. Authority. Given that powerful, well-organized free countries like the United States and powerful, well-organized dictatorships like China have been unable to achieve such goals, how much power an organization the globalists reckon they'll need? And it goes on and on and on, and, and it's quite it's quite an interesting article. But um, it's all here, folks. It's all here. And you don't get votes on this, do you? Yeah, the, the European Commission is meeting for blah, blah. The, the UN Commission on blah, blah is meeting for the blah, blah, blah. And uh, you don't get a say in anything. Uh, and they're going to rule your lives. Huh? They are ruling your lives, actually. And... I mean, he's a, he's a, a good article here, for instance, on the, how they'll eradicate corruption and, and all the rest of it. Here's the EU Parliament, and this is the State of the Union 2015. Listen, the words come out by, by this, <laughs> come out of the mouth of this liar. Time for honesty, unity, and solidarity by the President of the European Parliament. He was about, today's my first time during my mandate as President of the EU Commission that I have the honor to address the House of the State of our European Union. And he goes on and on about the, oh, the problems that they resolve and yada, yada, yada. And uh, it's a State of the Union they give, remember, uh, for the whole of the EU, all the countries. And they want to bring in more uh, more, and more immigrants from, from the so-called uh, warring nations and all the rest of it too to change the face of Europe forever and ever. It's already pretty well done, actually. And it was done before the last law of, of immigrants came in. But here's another article on the same leader of this, this, this European Parliament. Jean-Claude Juncker, when it becomes serious, this is what he said. This is what he said before, this, the same president. When it becomes serious, you have to lie. It says, we take a closer look at Luxembourg's divisive former leader, Jean-Claude Juncker, the longest-serving veteran of Brussels deal-making. It says, if any individual represents the old Europe and the wheeling and dealing that led to the flawed euro and the EU constitution, it's Jean-Claude Juncker, who is one of the last uh, believers in a federal Europe. Mr. Juncker, or Juncker, 59, was, until last December, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, and the EU's longest-serving leader until he was forced to resign last year in a bizarre a scandal involving illegal phone tapping by the Grand Duchy's Secret Service. Now, remember, this is an article uh, talking the, from the previous year about his corruption and why he had to leave as being the, the head of uh, a country. Now, he's, now they put him in charge of all the countries. That's what being a good crook does, you know. Uh, that's how you get ahead in life, by the masters that already run the world. But it says here, uh, Luxembourg's fiscal policy and tax agreements with hundreds of multinational firms transformed this country from an economy based on industry 
to one based on finance because you get all the cash going through Luxembourg and for Brussels, of course, for, from all the EU countries. But they've no, they've no industry now. Ironically, he got his job uh, as Luxembourg's leader after Britain vetoed uh, Jean-Luc Dehaene, the Belgian Prime Minister, for the job of European Commission President in 1994. After the veto, Jack Santer, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, took the post and his keenly ambitious employment minister, Mr. Juncker, took the helm of the tiny country, running it as a, a fiefdom until December 2013. Mr. Santer's commission, which oversaw the construction of the euro currency, collapsed in ignominy amid scandals over endemic corruption in March 1999. The longest-serving veteran of Brussels deal-making until last year, Jean-Claude Juncker, hid the powerful Europe, uh, Eurogroup meetings of Eurozone uh, finance ministers and the banking boys, uh, firefighting the crisis in the EU single currency, an institution he had helped create. <laughs> warts and all in the 90s. We decided on something, leave it. This, he, this is what he said. This is the guys in charge of the whole Europe now. We decide on something, leave it lying around and wait to see what happens. If no one kicks up a fuss, then there's no complaints because most people don't understand what has been decided and that's why everything is so ambiguous when you're given these declarations. It's, it's, very, it's, it's very misty kind of language, you see. Well, naturally, you won't get complaints. So they, they do this deliberately. He tells you, being a good psychopath, he tells you. If no one kicks up a fuss because most people don't understand what's been decided, we continue step by step until there is no turning back, he said, of the Euro's introduction. And that's what they do with all these agreements on sustainability and all the rest of it. The same technique, folks. It's all fussy to the general public. And um, they take no, no notice of it. But the, the things that are signed in stone, basically, that governments must implement all these different uh, treaties they've signed on to. And it affects all of you. So at the height of the Eurozone crisis, Mr. Juncker was described as, as the master of lies for organizing a meeting of finance ministers to talk about whether Greece could remain in the single currency and then trying to deny it was taking place. Germany's Süddeutsche uh, Zeitung accused Mr. Juncker of taking the lead on the deception and warned he has managed to fritter away the last remaining trust the people of Europe still have. Mr. Juncker has never hidden his view that compromises and deals were worked out in the EU meetings. Our leaders or ministers need to be protected from public scrutiny by lies if necessary. Huh? See, the, their whole system's run this way, folks. It says, when it becomes serious, you have to lie. In May 2011, he told a meeting of the Federalist European Movements, and that's all part of this world parliamentarians do, by the way, uh, that he often had to lie and that Eurozone monetary policy should be discussed in secret, dark debates. It's not for public consumption what's going on. He also sparked controversy by suggesting that the Eurozone economic policy was incompatible with democracy. They all know it, folks. They all know it. All politicians know that today. They're just there to play the game on you, that's all. Keep the illusion going. And it says, we all know what to do, we just don't know how to get re-elected after we've done it. Mr. Juncker cynically quipped last year. 
He was also closely linked to the EU constitution before the French referendum on it. In 2005, he predicted correctly that Europe would ignore any popular rejections. And he's what he said. Well, as far as too, Cameron did it all too. Oh, we're going to give him a vote, you know. He says, if it's a yes, we will say, on we go. And if it's a no, we'll say, we continue. Same thing, you see. Following the no votes in France and Netherlands, Mr. Juncker claimed that in reality voters had actually supported deeper European integration. There's your double speak for you. This is like a Soviet interpretation of things, isn't it? Everybody votes no, then what you'd really, what you'd really done when you supported no was to support deeper integration into the European structure, triggering accusations that the European elite uh, was in denial over public uh, hostility to the EU. It says here, Mr. Juncker went on to play a leading role in the resurrection of the EU constitution in the form of the Lisbon Treaty and advised Gordon Brown, then Prime Minister of Britain, to mislead the the British public over transfers of sovereignty. They're all liars, you see. They're all in the same agenda. He says, of course, there will be transfers of sovereignty, but uh, would I be intelligent to draw the attention of public opinion to this fact? He said of Mr. Brown and British calls for a referendum on the Lisbon Treaty. Raised in a working-class family in Luxembourg's Rust Belt Industrial North, Mr. Juncker joined the centre-right Christian Social Party the year he finished school in 1974. Don't fall for terms and names like Christian Social Party. A lot of the communists went into that too, by the way. Uh, and it's a good cover. It says he got his first material job in 1982 and describes himself as having a red streak that makes him acceptable to many European socialists. So anyway, he's the kind of character that's now running the EU. And you have the same characters running the United Nations and all their departments. And you have the same ones as experts, supposedly on the climate change, science panels and so on. Uh, they're all the same folks. Everything's politicized to an extent. And, um, and that's how people are pan-picked, because they're good liars. And they can stay in. And they're caught lying, the big boys that run the world really just to make sure they're not kicked out of office. Or if they move them around, they give them a bigger job afterwards, running our lives in some other way, of course. That's that's what that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it's all about, yeah. Lie to the public. Always lie to them. Keep the little sheep happy, you know, keep them grazing. Don't spook them. Keep them keep them eating that grass there. And they won't notice through gradualism that everything's changing and their currencies are getting weaker and weaker and they have fewer and fewer rights and there's now social work departments and agencies running their lives from birth to death. They'll all go into it quite gradually and think it's all quite natural. And then they can do it so easily with the youngsters coming up because they'll get utterly indoctrinated in school that this is all quite normal. You see, that's how it's done. So therefore we're in the century of change. You'll hear also them talk about the century of transition, which means change again. Plan change, mind you. Change just doesn't happen. It's always planned in advance, especially on this. When you have economics involved with humanity, uh, it's always planned long in advance, of course. And scary topics are always used to make you give up more cash and more rights for yourself and more authority for yourself, too. And, and authorities, the proper authorities, will be taken over the century. They already are, as you well know. Governmental agencies galore. 
uh, and eventually a lot of private agencies which have the power of government, some of them already do in fact, which will be running your lives from birth to death. That's really how it works, folks. And it's planned a long, long time ago with technocracy. Remember with technocracy, the whole idea in the 1930s was this equal distribution of wealth would come about by uh, a global society where governments or the world authority, etc., etc., would dish out your credits at the beginning of every month, and you couldn't save them up, you had to use them. And what you didn't use would disappear as a new uh, total went in at the beginning of the next month. And uh, technocracy, too, would deduct from uh, what they gave you all your energy consumption. Energy itself was a unit of currency. And you hear about carbon trading, folks, eh? And shortly you'll hear about energy trading and all that. It's the same thing. It's the same agenda. And all the Rockefeller boys and the United Nations and everybody was on board with this when the UN came into being from the League of Nations. They're all on board with it and they've worked very quietly ever since to implement it all under different guises, but it's all the same agenda. Total control of your life for as long as you live from birth to death by professional agencies, the proper authorities who are scientifically trained in how to manage you all, you understand? And um, I don't know if the, how long they'll even bother to keep up the facade of politicians. Uh, really, politicians are almost irrelevant today, and many of the ones at the top in the United Nations have already said that, in fact. So, it's uh, you're living through a, a facade and a charade, actually. That's how things really are working right now. Boring, isn't it? It's a lot of boring stuff. And uh, I can't give you happy news, because there is no happy darn news, unless I was selling a lot of stuff to make you happy. You have to always give them happy, happy news, or, or at the end, oh, but we can beat them all by... Well, how can you beat them when you don't even know what's going on? How can you defeat anything if you don't know what's going on? But it's really going on, that is. So remember, sustainability goes together with all the other United Nations agendas. I'll put up a PDF tonight from the Africa Faith Leaders Position paper called Beyond Post-2015 Development Agenda. And remember, the Sustainable Development Agenda uh, is, is meeting, it's the same agenda, by the way, as this post-2015 uh, uh, development agenda. That's the one they're talking about, is the, the Sustainable Development Summit. And I'll put that that up tonight, this PDF, for you to, to read and see how it all links together. It's, it's perfectly uh, interlinked with it all. I'll also put up uh, the Earth Charter PDF for those who want to see how they're going to bring about social and economic justice through massive taxation of you all, and how they're going to get their so-called fresh water. And that really means by the total privatization of all water in the proper authorities' control, which is not you, you see. I'll put that one up tonight as well. And also... I'll put up some other links as well to do on the same kind of topic as sustainable development, which ties all poverty eradication across the world in with the environment and all the rest of it and all the scary topics. But as I say, we don't get real news and breakdowns from any major uh, sources anymore from the mainstream media. They just don't, the Christians never have. Their job has never been to inform you uh, for your own good. 
uh, it's always been to give you almost like bits and bytes uh, of news uh, very superficially, so you don't really know what's going on, what's really behind things. There's no uh, investigative reporting goes on whatsoever in this modern day. Now, there are many agencies across Europe and elsewhere involving police and so on, uh, having big discussions, but all on the quiet again, to do with the expected onslaught of mass immigration. This is the time now for mass immigration to eradicate what was to bring in the new. That's the new, whole new culture idea that will be trained. They, they hope to train into everybody of all uh, previous cultures for this, this century, you see. It won't work, but uh, it doesn't matter when things don't work, when you have big idealist agendas and they've been at it for so long they can't ever come to the truth. Uh, even if it destroys everything in the process, they keep pushing you. Now, this is an article that came out uh, last year uh, from the Globe and Mail, and it says the unspeakable truth about Rotherham. Now, I've talked before about, and there's been many documentaries done in Britain and elsewhere across Europe about uh, the previous immigrant uh, mass migrations across Europe and the cause, the problems that's caused with drugs and organized crime. Many gangsters come in from these countries are the first often to flee, along with everybody else. They, they, they actually sneak in, and they've got good cover as they prattle on about being refugees. But a lot of the gangsters have a easier pickings in other countries where they're not known, and their techniques aren't so well known. But we've had them from Serbia and different places in the past, in Britain, where they had, were bringing girls in as prostitutes, basically imprisoning them in council housing of all places. And the local councillors and so on knew it, but everyone was too afraid to talk about it for you for years because it might be seen as racist if you said anything. And that's what happens when you're forbidden to say what is. Whereas the climate right now is you're forbidden to say what is. That's what happens. Horror happens, folks. Anyway, this article says uh, the reports are almost unbelievable and certainly not for the squeamish. They describe a ring of vicious sex traffickers who preyed on adolescent girls and operated with impunity for years. As the authorities, that's all your social work services and police and everything else, uh, deliberately ignored or and even covered up the evidence. Because they're all terrified of losing their jobs or being called racist, you see. It's among the victims was Amy, a young girl who was groomed for sex by some exciting new friend she made in the big city. They showed her a good time and made her feel special. That's typical technique of the pimps using so on. By the time she was 14, she'd been uh, raped and abused repeatedly by at least six adults in their late teens and early 20s. She went to the police who ignored her. Her parents begged for help in vain. Social workers and police treated her like a stupid naughty girl, she told the Times of London. Amy was just one of at least 1,400 girls who were groomed and raped over two decades, over 20 years, in Rotherham. There's a lot of documentaries out there on this, and they, they talk to a lot of these girls that were used. A grim post-industrial town in northeastern England, most of the victims were working class. They were typically 12 years to 14 years old when they were lured into a life of drugs, alcohol, and abuse. Nearly all the abusers were Muslim men of Pakistani origin. Britain has had more than its share of sex scandals lately, but this one is by far the most disturbing. 
is shaking the country to the core and prompted searching questions about the role of cultural sensitivity in covering up the abuse. And it's raised wider issues about Muslim integration to British life. Men of Pakistani heritage treated the white girls like toilet paper, columnist Alison Pearson wrote in The Telegraph. But authorities tried to bury their problem because they were afraid of being labelled racist or that it might cost them votes. Frontline workers who tried to get police and bureaucrats to act were repeatedly harassed and intimidated by the authorities, you see. One researcher who had gathered extensive evidence was told she must never, ever refer to the ethnicity of the abusers. Her report was suppressed and she was sent on a diversity course. They train you again in diversity and sensitivity. That's the end result of, of indoctrination by the idealists again who are bringing this whole global agenda, folks. But now the truth is impossible to ignore. A damning independent report released last week has confirmed all this and more. It identifies a deep-rooted problem of Pakistani heritage perpetrators targeting young white girls. Girls as young as 11 were raped by large numbers of men. Some children had been doused in gasoline as petrol and threatened with being set alight, threatened with guns, made to witness brutally violent rapes and threatened they would be next. Some returned to their abusers because they thought they were, that was the only way to keep their families safe. Because they threatened the families, you see, and they say, oh, we'll get your families if you don't cooperate. But instead of arresting the perpetrators, police and senior social work managers blamed the victims. One mother of an abused girl was when asked by the authorities, did nothing. And she replied, they thought they were dirty little slags. Slag is a loose uh, whore, basically. And that's what they would tell these kids to their face. Britain's finished anyway for, for many reasons, but uh, there's only one little part of it. This is Rotherham is not an isolated case. Alexis J, the author of the Independent Report, says similar abuse have taken place in towns and cities across England. The abusers are not paedophiles, but groups of men who enjoy having sex with young girls and have no problem with violence. As former Home Secretary Jack Straw once said, they regard young white girls as easy meat. That's what it says. And he got caught hell for saying that. But even now, few liberal politicians are willing to speak out. One exception is Simon Danzuk, a Labour MP from the Rotherham area. He described a typical attitude of constituents who ask him to get a family member off the hook for similar abuses. When I refuse, I frequently receive a, a tirade of abuse, he wrote in the Telegraph. Uh, this is... Um, one, these girls are prostitutes, one man shouted at me and warned that I would pay a heavy price for not supporting him. So uh, that's the power that these folk have in, in these countries, these perpetrators. So that's the power they have when they can threaten everybody, including the politicians. Yeah. But no amount of liberal angst will make uh, the story go away. Current Home Secretary Theresa May has acknowledged that institutionalized political correctness has inflicted appalling damage on the innocent. Well, that's the same institutionalized political correctness that's going to take all your rights and freedoms away, folks. Already has. You can't speak out about what's going on, for instance. But it's going to take all your rights and freedoms away when you're forbidden to speak out against the, the, the whole nonsense of global warming, etc. That's, that's already almost there. I'll put up other articles on that too from other newspapers and so on. 
But uh, this is only one little part of the problems you can certainly import, especially when you've got this indoctrination process in the schools where you're taught you can't say anything about certain topics and so on. In a free society, there's nothing that should be forbidden to be spoken about, including anybody, including yourselves, you see. When you're so bogged down with red tape and your mouth literally has a a red tape over it, in other words, shut up, uh, you're done for. You're done for. Because tyrants always rule. And you'll certainly get them coming in from all cultures. You see, there's there's gangs of criminals that are often the first to try and get out amongst all the rest of the people who are trying to get out of any country. And they get in so easily that way, too. Oh, we're a refugee, we're this, we're that, you see. And uh, they'll have their problems leaving their homelands uh, and the problems they have created themselves. And they continue in these new fresh fields with their same kind of gang activity. And it's very lucrative for them. And and be honest, too. Another thing is a lot of cultures don't believe in the laws that you believe in because they are very, very different cultures that they come from. But again, it's all been forced down at the chute, as I say, because the big idealists that want to run the whole planet and uh, have the technocrats all set up to do it for you, all the so-called experts, are religious in nature. And they, they, their religion is themselves and technocracy and their expertise of running the, the planet properly. And as I say, they must destroy all that was to bring in the new. That's all history, all your old histories, all your old cultures. And uh, and, if, and until eventually they're totally forgotten, you see. And all you have is this new p- politically correct charged atmosphere where you know what you can say because it's, it's been promoted and what you can't say because it's, it's forbidden, you see. And you'd be a good person then. You'd have the old stamp of approval. I am a good person. I'm a good citizen. I don't say anything negative against my superiors. That's how it all works, isn't it? Now remember, folks, too, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can donate to me and help me take along here because this is, a bit, this is the wood time, getting wooden. And I know for a fact it's going to be... Remember in Canada, where I live here in Ontario, this part of Ontario, uh, I was burning wood up until June in the mornings. I had to burn it in the mornings, it was so cold. And and here we are, and I've got wood on the, the go most nights of the week now. I've hit freezing already a few times. So way, way more than six months of the year, you are you're got the heating on these days because the, war, the earth's getting warmer, you see. <laughs> but again, empirical evidence has nothing to do uh, with the computer modeling, you see. That's, that's the key. The, the computers must be right, especially when they've been programmed to spew out the rubbish that they spew out. Because that's all it can do is spew out the rubbish it spews out. Reality doesn't matter because big agendas are at play. So remember, as I say, look into cuttingthroughmatrix.com, buy the books and discs, and and you can donate to me as well. It's all on the site how to do it. And, um, and remember, too, that... Uh, don't, I don't get sidetracked by all all the plethora of all the stuff that's coming down the pike or appears to be coming down the pike because if you don't stick on, on the, the main topics, uh, you have a, what's called a shotgun approach 
which is good for listeners who love terror and get terrorized all the time. But you, you can't uh, you can't really help people by terrifying them. That's not the way it's done. You must stick on the, the important agendas uh, as to what's really going on, what really is going to affect their lives, and what is affecting their lives, and what's planned for them by the official sources. And if you read the official sources of things and go into the proper um, uh, meetings that they have and their own PDFs and so on, and then follow up the statements made through various sources from their own members, you'll find out what the future is because they do publish it, by the way. The Open Conspiracy. This H.G. Wells, who was all for technocracy, he called it that, the Open Conspiracy. Now from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>